So many glorious truths. What a, what a great thing to gather together uh, Christmas Eve, read these familiar passages of Scripture, pause and reflect again the wonder of the birth of Christ, to sing uh, these songs together that, uh, that aren't just traditional carols, but they're just loaded with, with gospel truth. Remembering that night when those who walked in great darkness saw for the first time the light of God dawning on the horizon of human history. This humble yet grand entrance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Christmas is a special time of year. It's a time filled with warmth and peace, joy and hope, with kindness and, and generosity. A time of year when it feels safe to, to believe in miracles. Isn't that what every Christmas movie, every heartwarming commercial is built on? We see it everywhere. This time of year is the time when we just believe that everything wrong in this world can be made right. Relationships can be mended, promises kept, peace found. The, the best comes out in everybody. How did Christmas get that reputation? Why do we expect these things at, at Christmas? Well, in large part, that's what the first Christmas promised. Those heartwarming Christmas specials, the, the, the generous, feel-good Christmas stories built around uniting families and, and the idea of helping the poor during Christmas and, and giving to everyone this, a warm, happy place to be for Christmas. They're not at all disconnected from what that first Christmas promised. Last Sunday, we looked at Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, this passage where the angel Gabriel announces to Mary, this is who this child is going to be. Listen to these words. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the promise that Christmas makes. And, and those are amazing words of hope. If you weren't here last Sunday, let me just bring you up to speed. Just snippets of what's going on here. Verses 31 and 32 make three promises First, that Jesus would be the Savior of mankind. Mary is told, you'll name him Jesus. Jesus literally means Yahweh saves, God saves. This was already pointing forward to his death on the cross. That he would die to save us from the curse and the brokenness of sin in this world. To take the penalty that we deserve and pay it in full. Next, it says that he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. Just as was prophesied, the virgin will be with child and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This rescuer would not only be, it would not be God delegating, it would be God himself coming down in human flesh. 
So this child is the, is the savior of man. He's the very son of God. And then finally, he's the successor of David. Now that takes a little broader biblical understanding to, to really get the full appreciation of what's happening here. But, but this is huge. David and his throne in the Old Testament represent the fullness of salvation. David was the greatest king over all Israel. Under David, the kingdom of Israel was as large as it would be. He, under David, there was, there was peace across the land. There was prosperity for all. And God is saying, this is but a shadow of what is to come. David is a, a dim, fuzzy picture of what will be true when my true king comes. The things that you got the, the hint of, the slightest taste of during the kingdom of David is going to be poured out and overflowing. And then the angel told Mary, this is it. This is the one. This baby is the one who's going to take the kingdom of David and sit on his throne and fulfill everything that it looked forward to. He will bring peace and joy and happiness. He will unite families. He will make a world where every promise is kept, every tear is wiped away, every lonely heart made whole, every homeless brought in, every brokenness in us restored. It's every touchy-feely, over-the-top Christmas sentiment on steroids and then some. Look, look at Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9, just a few chapters after the passage that Josh read earlier. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That verse isn't about animals. That verse is about God re recreating, fixing this world to be a place where there is no more pain and suffering and corruption and death. It is the perfect idealistic picture of peace coming under this new king. No more death, no more fighting, no more chaos, no more suffering. Every painful thing in this world fully made right, completely undone. Think about it. Like every one of us has a list of things in our mind that hurt, that are not the way they should be. Imagine it totally wiped away, gone, just made untrue, as impossible as that seems. That's it. That's what this kingdom of Jesus is. That's why even the secular world clings to Christmas. They can't escape it because that's what our hearts long for. It's built into who we are. We can't help it. That's, that's why this promise is made. And, and it's exactly what's promised that, that this king would accomplish. So Luke 1.33, the last section of this declaration by the angel, and he will reign 
over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He'll be king, king over all with this kind of kingdom. And so the question is, where is it? Where is it? If that's what Jesus came to do, if that's the kind of kingdom he will have, well, he came. So where is it? Did he fail? Is this just a fairy tale? Should we just let go of our little stories? Let's just be honest. We love Christmas. Not because those things are the reality that we live in, but because all of this talk of of hope and peace and dreams come true is a much-needed relief and escape from the reality we live in. It looks nothing like the reality we live in. This world is a hurting, broken, messed-up place. Christmas is a time where we try to ignore the reality of what's wrong with this world. And and for a short season, we can pretend like those things don't exist. That's why Christmas is also an intensely painful time of year for many. Because if the problems in your life are so raw and so close and so painful that you can't just pretend like it's not happening, then, then Christmas comes as these absolute empty promises And then we as Christians come along with the audacity and the face of real pain to say, no, it's not make-believe. It's not pretend. It's not just a fairy tale or a nice story. There's truth here. Jesus really is that perfect king who came to set up that perfect kingdom that your heart desires. So where is it? We better be able to back that up. Is it just an imaginary, temporary escape from a harsh and broken reality? Or is there true hope? Is there something real here that I can put my feet on? A confidence of this this peace and joy and serenity. A real hope that everything wrong in this world might actually be undone. And if that's what Jesus came to do, and this is no fairy tale, again, where is it? Well, there's two ways to answer that question. The first is, as Jesus very clearly answered, his kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of Jesus is not an earthly kingdom. It's not a a political dominion. It's not something you can see or touch in the here and now. Luke 17, verse 20, being, being asked by the Pharisees, when is this kingdom going to come in? He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of Jesus is in our midst. It's among us. He is king now. And all of those who have submitted to his rightful rule are his kingdom. As he rules over us. But if we're honest, that's a pretty unsatisfying answer by itself. To say that we're we're spiritually part of that kingdom that he's reigning now, just not in a physical way, but he's, he's reigning in our hearts, leaves us wondering, so is anything going to be done about this pain and suffering in real life? This actual world that I live in? Because I need more than, than mystical. It's a wonderful thing to be included now in this 
kingdom of Jesus. But if this is it, if a, if a mystical, spiritual connection to the kingdom of God is all there is, that, that's a massive letdown. That's not enough. Let's just be honest. We don't want spiritual answers to, to physical problems. And I think we'd be wrong to separate the two. If my son has cancer. Some statement of, well, the kingdom of Jesus is here. I need more than that. That's not enough. Spiritual inclusion into this kingdom of Jesus only matters if there's something greater, something tangible that's going to happen. And that something greater is this. The kingdom of Jesus is not only here and now, though it is here and now in a very real sense, that's not the end of it. It is both here now and coming. Jesus isn't done. The story's not finished yet. He is king over all, and, and not just in some mystical, spiritual way, but he also will be king over all in a very real, visible, physical way. And his kingdom, and all of these grand promises that we sing about, all of the hopes and dreams that, that bubble up to the surface every Christmas season will be more than fulfilled in real, physical, tangible ways. It's going to happen in two stages. First, he will come on this earth. The book of Revelation, near the end, we, we read about the end of this world as we know it, the horrible time of tribulation and suffering, and then Jesus returns. But this time he comes in a way so very different from that meek and mild, humble Jesus born in the manger. This time it's warrior King Jesus. He comes riding on a white horse, dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes are like the flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, that's crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Get that picture into your head. That's the entrance of Jesus as King over all. In this undeniable way. It begins with war. He will defeat all those who oppose him. And then all those who have trusted him through history past, we're told. Those who have been part of this spiritual kingdom and submitted to his rule will be resurrected from the dead. Given new and perfect bodies, Satan will be bound and thrown into a pit. 
And for a thousand years, King Jesus will rule supreme in physical form from Jerusalem. And peace will reign on this earth. This earth ruled by Jesus for a thousand years. That's the first stage. And when that thousand years has come to an end, Satan will be released and he will mount one final attack against King Jesus and many will join him and, he will, and, and, and they will be completely and utterly destroyed and defeated. And at that point, Satan and his demons, along with every enemy of God from throughout history, will be thrown forever into the lake of fire. And then comes the second stage of his glorious kingdom. The new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. A recreation of this world. It's not, it's not ethereal clouds and harps like the, the cartoons picture. No, it's this world remade, made new. And his reign will be complete. Revelation 21.4, then it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That will be the end. The end of pain and sadness, the fulfillment of joy and peace, happiness and comfort and life. Eternal. Jesus reigns as king over all. That's what Christmas is about. It's coming. But Christmas is not the end of that story. It's the beginning of that story. We have to ask why. Why the gap? Why come first as baby? Why not just come as king in the first place and fix all of this to begin with? And in a word grace. When Jesus comes as king over all to establish his dominion in fullness, he comes with wrath and judgment and destruction for all those who live in sin and rebellion against God. For those who fight against his rule, who, who refuse in this life to submit themselves to his kingship. Had he come so many years ago riding on a white horse, wielding that sharpened sword to destroy every opponent of God, that would have included all of us. It's an act of incomparable grace that he came first, not as mighty king to rule, but as a gentle child, a humble shepherd to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. To die in our place that we might be restored first to God. That we might come into that perfect kingdom before he destroys everything outside of that kingdom. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promises as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but all should reach repentance. That day is coming. That king is returning. He has come once and he has opened a way and he pleads, come in. Be part of this kingdom. Join now in what will grow into this eternal kingdom of joy and peace and happiness and all that our hearts desire.
Because when he comes back that second time, it will be too late. It will be to establish his kingdom and to do away with all of the enemies of God. That's why we celebrate Christmas. This mighty Jesus who is king over all, who had all right and power to come and judge and condemn and conquer and rule, to come first and, and wipe us out, and decided instead to, to come as this humble, gentle baby, born of a virgin girl nestled in the hay, not to condemn us as we deserved, but to offer salvation to all who would trust in him. So that all who would trust him and follow him, who would give their lives to him, might be included in this kingdom. That his kingdom would be filled on that day with redeemed sinners singing the glories of his name. Where do you stand in that kingdom? Do you know the rule of Christ now? It's no small thing to say the kingdom of God is in our midst and I am in that kingdom. I have given my life to follow him and I trust that one day that kingdom will be made complete and I will be in the joy and restoration that he promised. Where are you? He's not slow in fulfilling his promise. He's patient waiting for you, desiring that all would come to repentance, calling you again and again, even tonight, come, come into that kingdom. There is grace, there is forgiveness, there is life, there is the fulfillment of every Christmas nostalgia and blessing and joy. We're going to close this evening singing Silent Night. I'll invite the worship team to join me again. I love how this song captures the quiet peaceful, humble entrance of our Savior with just these little glimpses of his majesty mixed in. Yes, silent night, holy infant, so tender and mild, and yet the shepherds quake at his sight. The glory streams from heaven afar and the heavenly hosts, the heavenly armies under this king sing hallelujah. My favorite line of the song, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. It's just the beginning. This kingdom will come and for those who are in his kingdom, no, no hope or longing will go unsatisfied. No pain or hurt or loneliness will be left. No sorrow or sadness will remain. That day is coming. When every Christmas hope is fulfilled, but but what we celebrate at Christmas is just the dawning of it, just the beginning of that light creeping in, the gentle glow of the dawn that will one day blaze like the noonday sun. So we're going to gather and sing together, rejoicing in this glorious hope. We don't celebrate Christmas as a fairy tale. We don't celebrate as an escape from reality, but pointing forward to something infinitely greater than all the, all the Christmas nostalgia there is with confidence that it's coming because the light has come because today he rules as king over us and one day he will be king over all. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and what you have done. Lord, I thank you that you're patient with us and that every Christmas and every Easter and every Sunday morning we are reminded again 
Every time we open your word, we're reminded again of your gentleness. That you would send your son in humility to give himself in our place that we might be with you. That we who deserve only wrath and death might have glorious grace, might be joined in this kingdom. So Lord, we sing to your name that you be glorified. We thank you, we praise you, and we celebrate Christ and this amazing birth this Christmas in Jesus' name.